Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Alex Green. I'm one of the 2019 Banking and Finance Oath Young Ambassadors and I'm joined today by Mr. Colin Neve. Colin has had an extensive career, starting out with a part-time job at Meyer in 1958 while he was still in high school, an experience which gave him his first taste of customer service. He then completed a law degree in 1965 and spent time as a practicing lawyer advising a range of companies, including Toyota, which he subsequently joined and worked at for five years. He then moved into the public sector, starting out in South Australia at the Department of Public and Consumer Affairs, before moving on to a number of positions, including Chief Ombudsman of the Financial Ombudsman Service and Australian Banking Industry Ombudsman. He also served as Commonwealth Ombudsman from 2012 to 2017 and is now the Customer Fairness Advisor at ANZ. Colin has also received the Order of Australia as well as a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Society of Consumer Affairs Professionals. Colin, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Ah, My pleasure. So Colin, I'm interested in the position of Customer Fairness Advisor, which you occupy currently. Would you be able to give our listeners a bit of an overview about what that position entails? Well, first of all, it's an advisory role and that gives me a lot of flexibility in the organisation. Let me illustrate that. Quite often people will come to me and talk to me about a particular issue which they might be facing or a particular customer with whom uh, there is uh, some dispute and seek my advice um, about how it might be a good way of dealing whatever the problem might be. So I'm sort of bringing what's called in the bank um, a fairness lens and a different lens because I've never been a banker. So I find myself in a situation, even though I was banking ombudsman from outside, of not really knowing much about the process of banking because the best way of describing banking actually is it's a process. It's got a business element to it, of course, but it is a process. It's Mm. getting money in and lending it out again. Uh, So I've gone off the track there slightly, which I want to do. Uh, But but the customer fairness uh, advisor role has, um, for example, uh, involved me in uh, some of the very large-scale remediations which the bank has been involved in. People come and talk to me about whether I think in the context of our regulatory um, uh, requirements, uh, whether or not I think a particular approach to remediation is appropriate. And I've played the role of uh, bringing the different elements in the bank together to um, tackle, for example, some of those remediation problems because uh, what's called in the bank, you know, the business that that is in the end responsible to uh, bear the cost of any remediation. Uh, they, uh, that part of the business will, will have, a, have a view, but uh, another part of the business will be wanting to resolve the, the matter as quickly as possible in the, in the interest of, um, of uh, dealing with whatever the problem might be. So there's quite a lot of um, discussions within organisations, as will be the case in, in all um, large financial institutions dealing with remediation problems. Mm. So it's a it's a broad role. When I joined uh, joined the bank, uh, um, the uh, CEO Shane Elliott said, "Well, no, Colin, we want you to go ahead and fearlessly say what you think is the right thing to do in certain circumstances." Um, similarly, others uh, in the bank said the same thing. So I, I've had a tremendous amount of support, as well as I think performing what could be described as a useful role. Very good. Yeah, it definitely sounds like quite a useful role to have, especially in this 
in these sort of turbulent times of Australian banking? Yes, well, well, it was fascinating for me because when I was appointed, the Royal Commission hadn't been uh, announced. And so another role which I performed at the bank was to was to play or actually quite a small role uh, in dealing with uh, how the bank dealt with the Royal Commission and the uh, and, and the way in which uh, it was uh, pro proposed to um, provide evidence information um, and uh, to ensure that there was appropriate cooperation between the bank and the Royal Commission, which of course there was, and I had a role in that uh, in that as well. So um, certainly wasn't contemplated when I joined the bank. Uh, mm. I expected to be looking at uh, the terms and conditions of credit card contracts to see whether they were fair, in my view. Uh, but no, it was a much broader role than that. Yeah, well, sounds like it got a bit more exciting, perhaps as well. Yeah, look, it was. Um, it was. Uh, it was fascinating mm. to uh, having been the ombudsman and seeing, um, you know, the way in which that process of banking operates from outside, uh, and then being inside and seeing the realities of some of the issues which bankers have to confront day after day. It's, uh, it looks, um, it looks um, you know, I wouldn't say easy from outside, but there's an awful lot going on within an organisation when you've got the, uh, uh, the desire for profitability and the desire for uh, appropriate profitability, uh, the desire for product development, um, and then managing all the risks which are inherent uh, whether they're reputational or financial, uh, and how all that fits together is really a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, but it, it works. Mm. So speaking of that jigsaw puzzle and the issues you've come across, as well as your insider and outsider perspectives on the industry, have you come across anything in your time or any situation in your time where you came across a particularly ethically complex case? Yes, well, there's one that, that does stand out uh, in, uh, in my mind, and it's a case which uh, involves uh, a couple who were not treated, in my view, especially fairly by uh, the bank uh, in relation to uh, a transaction. And even though this uh, event occurred, well, I think more than 10 years ago, so there was, there was no real legal entitlement to... Uh, any um, uh, compensation. Um, the, uh, the husband, uh, who by that time was divorced from his wife, uh, made a complaint to the bank and it was referred to me uh, by another senior person in the bank and I was asked what I thought about it. And I came to the conclusion that even though there was no obvious legal liability on the part of the bank, that the bank should be compensating um, the customer uh, from uh, you know quite quite a large sum of money. Um, however, the complaint had only come from the uh, the husband who had subsequently been divorced from his wife. But the incident applied to both of them. Now it would have been easy to to complete a settlement with the with the, with the husband in relation to the matter. But my my view was that because the wife had been involved, then compensation should be offered uh, to her as well. So that was. That was not a legal obligation, but if you put a, a fairness lens, uh, an ethical lens to this, uh, my feeling was that, uh, that that we should engage with the wife, point out that we were um, going to uh, um, look at compensating the husband and just make sure that uh, she was appropriately dealt with as well. So that um, that was uh, arranged, and uh, and the you know the, the husband was. Uh, um, uh, frankly, initially a bit reserved about that, but uh, finally uh, understood that 
you know, the bank could not complete a settlement just with a husband. It needed to involve the wife as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's how the bank uh, proceeded in that uh, in that matter. Okay. So it 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 raised um, you know it would have been easy to say okay well we've only heard from one party so we'll deal with that party but. Um, you know, I felt that it was appropriate to uh, to deal more broadly with the issue, and 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 those who are responsible for uh, uh, dealing with uh, matters like this were readily agreed to that as well. Which to me was a very good message uh, to uh, to be able to talk about it um, at okay. the bank. So you didn't receive much pushback from the banking staff. No, no, the, um, no. There was a, there was a very ready and immediate understanding of the uh, need to uh, to involve both parties in in something where where there was, as I say, there's no absolutely clear legal liability, but the circumstances of the case led me to the view that we really needed to do something about this um, this uh, this particular incident. Mm. So, when you're approaching issues such as this, is there a sort of framework that you use or a decision-making process to work out how to proceed? Oh, well, there, there, is, a, there, there is a process uh, in, in the bank for ethical decision-making, which has been developed by the um, uh, one of the uh, committees that operate uh, within the bank mm -hmm. uh, with, with the assistance of uh, outside consultants. So there is a, there is a framework. Um, this, the case that I'm talking about, developed before that framework was in place. Uh, but that's that's how you know generally speaking, um, as far as I know, others in the bank use that ethical decision making framework in which to come to decisions which involve um, behaviours really about how we might uh, operate uh, ethically in the marketplace. What sort of advice would you give to others when they're approaching a situation like this where there's not a, a legal obligation to take a certain action? However, there might be a, a sort of more moral imperative. Yeah, well, the, the way I've, I've talked about it, and I used to talk about it in the same way when um, when I was the ombudsman, because uh, the, that's the finance or banking ombudsman, and that's um, that's in a very subjective way. Actually, you uh, consider whether or not, um, if it was a relative of yours that X or Y Z had happened to that relative, whether or not they should be compensated. Um, and uh, sort of uh, thinking well in the circumstances if this was a relative of mine so you it's a different way of saying that you stand in the shoes of the of the person affected and look at it from their point of view if they were confronted with a lot of things you know because the customer doesn't always know some of the internal uh, processes for decision making which uh, uh, not just banks but uh, all, all people in business they don't know what what might have led to a, to a particular occurrence uh, or um, where something has gone wrong, and so you put yourself in the, in their shoes. So in summary, it's a it's a combination of looking at it subjectively. If a relative of mine had suffered this, would I want that relative to be properly compensated? Um, and then secondly, putting oneself whether you're a banker uh, or uh, whatever level that you might be in the bank putting yourself into the shoes of that of the customer and say look what would what would I think was fair myself the customer if I was um, in possession of all the facts that uh, that the bank was in possession of which might have led to something which went wrong for that customer mm. okay yeah well that's very sound advice and very uh, sort of intuitive yardstick to use 
when determining your actions, which yes, I think well, it's is very helpful. simple. It's it's simple yeah. because you see lots of lots of learned articles have been written by lots of people about what fairness means. Uh, and in fact, AFCA, the dispute resolution mechanism, is doing a lot of work on this at the moment, which I'm sure will be uh, of a very high standard indeed, because I think that uh, when we um, when I was the ombudsman, we uh, made decisions on cases uh, based on the law industry practice and what's fair in all the circumstances, which was sometimes quite a quite a difficult uh, difficult process to go through. And I think the work that AFCA is doing at the moment on developing much more of a framework in relation to fairness uh, is is to be applauded because mm. I think that's that's going to assist everybody um, as time goes by in, in industry and uh, in Africa itself when it's making decisions. Mm, just a bit more clarity around mm. what's expected. Yes, that's right. And that's a great, as I, as I said, there's lots and lots of people have written very learned articles on fairness, but sometimes they're a bit um, sort of philosophical. Yeah, you a bit long-winded. To, yes, well, you need to head, head towards a practical solution. Yeah, mm. fair enough. So given that you've seen the banking industry from a variety of perspectives, both outside, inside. And now that you've sort of worked within a bank for a while, so you might have developed more of a understanding of the processes, as you put it. Um, have you identified any sort of roadblocks across the Australian banking industry to people acting ethically? Haven't haven't seen any yet. Even even when I was the external ombudsman, I think uh, most bank employees are doing what they can um, in uh, all the circumstances. But I really think we should remind ourselves about the Royal Commission and the principles which were enunciated as part of the Royal Commission, because then a whole lot of decision-making within uh, organisations, in my view, becomes a lot simpler. So if you start off with the, with the, with the first principle, which was, you know, obey the law, uh, first of all, which is not a bad one, actually. That's a good one. Um, secondly, you know, a series of um, principles which really amount to only sell products which are suitable for customers, not not what they might be eligible for. So in other words, and I'll just to use an example, um, going back to my Toyota days of um, when I was there, you used to have to pay extra for a heater and there's a lot of, in a car. So yeah. there was a lot of profit in a, you know, a heater. So you'd sell the customer up to have a heater in their car. Um, so selling customers up is not is not such a good move. And, and I think I think the third really key point that, uh, that comes through um, uh, uh, which is, in, in my view, um, always act in the best interest of the customer as mm. distinct from looking at uh, what might lead to, in some cases, a, a bigger bonus or, a, or, or whatever it might be. So those, those you know, obey the law, um, act in the interest of the customer and only sell them things which are suitable, it makes it, makes it a lot easier to, to also then come back to the ethical decisions as well. Uh, because flowing through all those uh, points, uh, which is very much, much paraphrasing the principles, I know uh, they're a lot more detailed from what I've compared to what I've said. Um, but if you do all that, well, then you're going to be acting fairly as far as the customer is concerned. Mm. I mean, when you put them out like that, they sound quite common sense. Mm. You know? um, but why do you think the industry maybe didn't always follow those principles? In the past, well, I think I think people got lost in some of the remunerations um, 
structures, I think, and I, I, I think that's, uh, I think that uh, the, so the reforms which are, which are apparently going on in that regard, I think, have, uh, will have made a, made a big uh, difference. But I, I also think that uh, sometimes, and I, I'm not talking about ANZ necessarily here, but more broadly, I think uh, banks tend to have very complicated um, policy uh, documents at times which are pretty hard to understand for the ordinary customer. And if, if you have in your mind um, the sorts of things that I've just talked about, those principles, um, then it, things fall into place a lot easier than, than if you're trying to read uh, some sort of complex policy document for, for because th these sorts of things have got to be understood throughout the whole organisation because people are dealing on the phone with that's the other thing you don't realise till you get into the bank. It's a big organisation with something like, uh, in ANZ's case, around about 40,000 employees. Other banks have got more employees. So having mm. a consistent approach to all these sorts of issues is pretty hard unless they're nice and simple. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that does make sense. So I guess the organisation itself is such a large beast to grapple with. It might be hard sometimes to coordinate activities across all different areas. Yes. to the standard desired. I think so. I, you know, it is hard. And, and uh, the point I made, um, I think, initially when you asked me the first part of the question was that, you know, I think everyone's genuinely doing their best. Mm. Um, there's no doubt about that. And, I, and I've, you know, I've dealt with, um, first of all, when I was ombudsman, uh, with, uh, with the CEOs of all, all the banks, um, uh, many of whom, um, of course, most of whom are all gone now, but some of the people who are now occupying senior positions in the bank, I had other dealings with them when they were other, in other positions uh, within uh, various banks. And they're all very, very committed to doing the right thing by, by customers. It's just sometimes the, the, uh, the other priorities of, uh, of remunerating people appropriately and making sure that um, you know, sales, sales are up at certain levels sometimes uh, uh, tends to uh, cloud people's judgment, really. Mm. Yes, so I guess if they just keep those principles in mind that you mentioned, I think. Well, I think it's a good start a because I think that's um, that's uh, you know what I've learned in other businesses, which I won't go into in great detail. But um, you know, you keep a really simple message that all employees can identify with. Um, whether that's part of a you know, is a really uh, good line ANZ uh, has got, which is they really the bank paraphrasing again wants to have uh, an involvement with a thriving community, not just a, a community in which uh, people are living, but a thriving community. Mm. And so those sorts of those sorts of uh, touchstones, I think, are very important in big organisations to get messages across. Mm. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yes, yeah. that's oh, sounds my, good. Okay. All right. You. Well, thanks for your time today, Colin. That's I think a pleasure. that really Thank would you. have helped our listeners understand you know the world understand a few ways to navigate it a bit more easily so thank you for your time that's a pleasure thank you